When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. So right now, our staff is in the middle of planning a quilt retreat for ourselves. We used to do at least one retreat each year um, as kind of a little reward for all of our hard work, but because of the pandemic, we haven't done one in three years. So we thought this fall would be a great time to just connect with each other for a sewing weekend. I've heard from many listeners over the years about how difficult it can sometimes be to plan a retreat or to find one to attend. So I thought since we were in planning mode for our retreat, it would be a great time to talk through what we think about when we're booking a retreat space. So first, you want to think about the location. Can your participants travel? If so, how far? Will you be sleeping at the retreat center, a nearby hotel, or will you want to be able to drive home at night? Do you want to be in a city where there's other attractions and sightseeing you can do in between sewing? Or do you want to be in a quiet town where there's nothing to distract you? These are all things to think about. So for us, we all live in a bigger city, so we tend to book a retreat out of town so it feels like a little getaway, but no more than an hour away, just in case people need to drive home for family obligations or, you know, other errands at the end of the day. And we try to look for a location that allows us to stay the night on site uh, because that's just one less thing for us to worry about in terms of like booking a place to stay. And our group does like to take walks, uh, do a little shopping, eat out if the location allows. So while that's not a big factor in where we book a retreat, Those factors may help us decide between two places, um, you know, if one area has better access to kind of those little extra add-ons we enjoy. There are different ways to find a retreat location. So, you know, availability differs by area, but you can start by searching on Google for quilt retreat centers uh, and then add in your chosen city. So whether it's the city you're in now or one you plan to travel to. So retreat centers can be part of a quilt shop, Uh, they can be a separate location run by a quilter, Uh, or they can even be a building that's available to rent and reserve for short amounts of time, such as maybe a conference center, a parks and rec facility. Um, I've even heard of quilters renting an Airbnb that has a lot of open living space where they can set up their machines and ironing boards. 
You may also want to keep in mind that if you, uh, you know, you have no desire to plan or host your own quilt retreat, uh, some quilt shops um, and some quilt designers host their own quilt retreats that you can just sign up for and then join in on. So if you have a small group of friends uh, or you just want to find a retreat for yourself, this is a good option. So no matter what location you find, there are some things to ask of the host so that you're going to be the most prepared. So if you're staying overnight, you want to make sure you ask if you need to supply your own bedding, towels, uh, paper products like toilet paper or napkins. Um, You may want to see if they have a kitchen available for any food storage or prep. Um, Or, you know, if you need to plan snack foods, takeout or find restaurants in the area. And then make sure you ask if they have plates, cups, utensils, any serving items, dishwashing liquid, or if you need to provide that on your own. So if you're staying somewhere that has a dedicated sewing retreat, many large items such as cutting mats, uh, ironing board and irons, and even design walls may already be in the space. Um, You know, space having these things can save the retreaters, a lot of space in their bags and a lot of setup time for everyone. Um, Dedicated retreat centers probably also have table and chairs, uh, electrical outlets, extension cords, and other basic things like that. Uh, But not all places will. So it's best to ask what's included. You don't want to show up at a place only to realize they didn't supply an essential sewing tool, such as an ironing board or even chairs, you know, and, and then you're out of luck. Another thing to ask the host about is lighting. So maybe there's a lot of windows and there's natural light. That's great. Uh, If you plan to sew late into the night, make sure that that there's good overhead lighting. Um, But you also may want to consider bringing a portable lamp or task lighting with you. So ask what the lighting situation is. Next, you want to think about dates and times. So how long is the retreat? A day? A weekend? Uh, If you're going someplace close that doesn't have overnight accommodations, a day may suit everyone. You can start early, so all day, and then maybe end the evening with a dinner at a restaurant. Day-long retreats can also work well if everyone's working on the same project, such as you're just getting together to work on a charity quilt or a guild project. Um, Or if you plan to host many day-long retreats throughout the year, you know, such as quarterly with friends, uh, day-long ones can sometimes work best. But if you're gathering a group who are all working on different projects, if you're driving farther away to the retreat center and they have overnight accommodations, um, or this is the one big retreat you're doing this year, you may want to plan it for the whole weekend to really make the most of this time away. So for our group, we usually take off of work on a Friday to start the retreat. Um, We stay overnight and then we'll leave Saturday night. So that this gives us two whole days of sewing, but also one more day in our weekend to take care of things around the house if we need it. And, you know, just because we all work together, uh, that Sunday usually gives us that one day apart from each other before we're all back to work on Monday. (laughs) And I just have some insider info that I've just like picked up over the years going to retreats that I'm not sure is, you know, quite public knowledge or um, just like fun things I've learned. 
So some retreat centers do offer food delivery options. You may have to ask about it. Um, So they may work with like a local vendor or a restaurant to deliver a number of meals throughout your time there. So we always take that option if it's offered because it's one less thing for us to prepare for and pack before we come to a retreat. Uh, We may all bring some snacks and drinks to share with the group, uh, but we don't need to plan meals that everyone will like and then figure out who's bringing what and who's in charge of prepping certain meals. But if your retreat center doesn't have that option, make sure there's a consensus on how to handle meals. So does everyone want to take the time and money to eat out for every meal? Um, Is there a food sign-up sheet so that all the ingredients needed are covered? Uh, Does each person get and put a charge of preparing one meal? So have a plan in place for food because you're really there to sew. So you don't want to spend so much time thinking about meals or having to shop um, or running out to grab things. So have a plan in place for that. Next, if you book a retreat at a quilt shop, it's a little less pressure because if you need extra fabric, threads, uh, you forgot a common tool, you can just buy it at the quilt shop, um, which is always nice. (laughs) Um, Or if it's something like a sewing machine foot pedal or another needed item that you you probably wouldn't want to buy again, the shop may let you borrow one from their collection and just return it at the end of your stay. And many times, uh, quilt shops may offer a discount on items that their retreaters buy during their time there. So it's a nice little treat to be able to step away from your sewing machine and just spend a little time shopping for fun. My next tip is to put someone in charge of the fun. So I've found at retreats that... um, you know, everyone thinks some someone else will plan something, so then no one plans anything. <laughs> so designate a fun person to help. So there's a variety of things that person can do. Um, maybe they create a fun music playlist to play during the day. Uh, if your sewing center has a TV, maybe they bring a few movie options for, you know, late night sewing to have something to watch. Um Many quilt retreats host games such as bingo, trivia, fabric swaps, other things. Um, So you can look up retreat games on Google. There's a lot of fun ones. Um, And especially if you're going on a quilt retreat where maybe not everyone knows everyone, games are a great way to just have everyone meet each other organically. Uh, And some retreats also like to have each person make or bring a small gift for everyone coming. So it could be a small item like a pin cushion, a fat quarter, favorite snack, a a chapstick. Um, So there are a lot of fun things that can happen at a retreat that doesn't necessarily take away from all your sewing time. So getting someone organized in your group to coordinate all of that can really help and, and can provide that extra level of fun. So at our retreats, we've instituted breaks during the day solely for stretching or taking a quick walk around the block. So sewing retreats remind me of like a a marathon. You know, you're hunched over your cutting mat for long periods of time. You're sitting at your machine for a long time, and that can be really hard on your body. So at our retreats, we have a timer that goes off once an hour. And we all get up from what we're doing to do some basic stretches, or if it's nice weather, we may take a quick walk around the block. Um, 
this just breaks the day up nicely. Uh, it reminds us to move our bodies. And uh, our group has found that it gives us like those little goals and incentives throughout the day. So for instance, like you kind of think in your head, like, can I finish another block before the next stretch break? Um, and then everyone shares their progress of the break. So it's a, it's a fun little thing to keep you sewing, keep you being productive, and then just to check in with everyone while you're doing some stretches. And my last piece of advice, uh, and this may not reply, you know, apply to everyone or every retreat, but it's one I found myself loving over the years. And that's take the time for late night sewing. So I'm not a person that stays up late at all. I am a very early morning person. Um, but when we first started having our staff retreats, I really felt like I was missing all the fun when I would go to bed early. Um, and then the next morning at breakfast, everyone would be sharing these you know, silly stories of what happened the night before, and I would feel left out. Um, so now I stay up late and I enjoy my time there, even though if I, you know, I get tired and I, I make sure that I bring an easy project or like a handwork project to sew at night because I know my concentration and my attention to detail isn't great because I get tired. Um, and I've also started bringing a few bottles of wine to share. I just think it's so nice to just pop open a bottle with those who are still sewing at night. And, you know, sometimes you have nice, deep and meaningful conversations. Sometimes they're just funny and goofy things. Um, and I also found that many times I get the best inspiration or just like the best solution to a, a sewing problem I'm having late at night, just talking to others, because it just seems like ideas are flowing and everyone's chatting. So if you are like me and you like to go to bed early and you're at a retreat, take the time to stay up a little later and no guilt, no judgments. So that's all the tips I have to offer. Uh, I hope it was helpful to those quilters looking to plan a quilt retreat in the future. Uh, they're so fun and so worth it and a great way to meet new quilting friends. So we have some resources for our quilt retreats, including uh, a packing list and a bingo game on our website. So we'll link to those in the show notes. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we get back, we're sharing tips for getting organized and our opinions of pressing seams. Welcome back. It's time for Get Organized, a segment where we share storage tips. And since it's back to school season, I wanted to share some ideas for school supplies that you can repurpose as storage in your sewing room. So I was inspired for this topic uh, from my friend Jessica, who is at Mayberry Square on Instagram. Uh, she recently posted some school items she bought from Target specifically for her sewing room, and she only spent $12. Um, there are so many items on sale right now, so it is a great time to shop. So both Pencil cases and lunch boxes make great on-the-go sewing cases. You can put small supplies, your most used supplies, and even handwork projects like English paper piecing in these types of cases, and then you can carry them with you to a retreat um, or hand sew outside or while traveling, or you can even use them to corral small tools that might normally get lost on your workspace so that they're all handy but contained. Now, trapper keepers make great project bags. Many trapper keepers have enough space to store fabric, 
finished blocks, especially specialty tools or threads, and the pattern inside. And this makes it easy to keep things organized for long-term projects, especially like blocks of the months, um, or even if you're packing things up for a retreat. And some Trapper Keepers have three ring binder clips inside so that you can add things like pencil bags, sheet protectors, folders, you know, other things to hold small tools or patterns neatly. If you have a lot of paper patterns, you could even use a Trapper Keeper to organize and store all your patterns. Um, or maybe it's all your instruction manuals for your machines, your specialty rulers, um, there are a lot of possibilities for trapper keepers and they're so different. Like they have so many attachments and little pockets and places to store things. So I think they're a cheap and very handy storage thing for your project needs. Of course, there are always cute notebooks and planners on sale this time of year. Uh, I always have a notebook with graph paper in my sewing space for me to sketch out designs. Um, I write down, you know, math math things I'm doing, or I just make notes about a project. So you can find a planner or a notebook and many different sizes, colors, um, different paper inserts. So it's a fun thing to stock up on now. And lastly, post-it notes or other labeling tools are handy to label boxes, bins, drawers, shelves, or just, you know, other things in your sewing area if if you need labels like that, um, I especially use post-it notes to add in notes to a pattern without actually needing to write on it. Um, or I sometimes leave myself little notes by my sewing machine about which stitch length and width I was, you know, machine quilting with or what thread color I was using for a specific project. To me, it just helps have that post-it note handy to just keep track of all those little details that I don't necessarily want to try to remember in my brain. Because, uh, you know, even though I always think I'll remember next time I sit down to, to sew, I never do. So having that stack of post-it notes, I just quickly write down things and then I don't have to worry about remembering them. So what other back-to-school items or or even like dorm room items can you use to organize your space? Send me all your ideas through email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. I'll list that in the show notes. I think it would be fun to share more storage hacks like this soon. So now it's time for a segment called Lindsay's Musings, where I pull my Instagram followers on a hot button quilting topic and I share my thoughts. So for this poll, I asked... What's the most common way you press seams? And 131 people voted in the poll, and here are the results. 47% of people say they mostly press to the dark side. 19% of people say they mostly press seams open. And the remaining 34% say they press however the pattern tells them to. So this poll idea came from our listener, Kathy, and in her email to me, she shared a little background about her pressing habits. So she says, I like to press to the side for most of my quilts because I feel it makes it stronger and don't really mind a few bumps here or there. Steam and a tailor's clapper help. And I do press open when I have multiple seams crossing. 
However, most of the patterns I purchase now from independent quilt designers have you pressing seams open. I have tried it and I do like the look of the flat block, but wonder how strong it is. I do not generally stitch in the ditch, so that is not an issue, but I don't like how the seam tends to unravel easily when matching seams to the next piece. I do even use a 1.8 stitch length and attempt to keep them together. I think this would be a great topic to pull. So I loved this poll topic. Um, my thoughts are very similar to Kathy. So I press to one side, uh, usually the dark side if that's possible. And I really like to have my seams nest. Uh, I personally don't mind any bulk in the seams. Um, I don't really notice seam bulk when I'm machine quilting or and my finished quilts at all. So uh, to me, I'd rather just keep the integrity of the seams by pressing to one direction and, you know, helping my seams nest. Um, also to me, pressing seams to one side is so much easier than pressing open um, because I can press blocks from the front and without needing to put, you know, my fingers or use a stiletto near a hot iron to press them open. Um, and almost half of our poll participants felt the same way as Kathy and I and said they mostly pressed to one side. Um, our listener, Amy, did say that she always auditions a block first. And depending on if there's bulk in places, she'll change the pressing accordingly to, to work with what she thinks. Um, and our listener, Kelly, said that she usually tries to press for nested seams, but in some cases, she lets the fabric naturally go to the side at once. Um, she specifically said that when she does foundation paper piecing, sometimes the stitching and bulk want the seam to lay in one direction, and she just doesn't fight it. So those are all great tips if you're kind of navigating a pattern that doesn't have its own pressing instructions. So now almost 20% of people said they mostly press seams open. And this is shocking to me. So when I learned to sew, I didn't even know pressing seams open was an option. Um, everyone told me to press to one side, um, to nest seams when possible. You can twirl seams when there's a lot of bulk coming together in one spot. But, um, but I do think many specifically modern quilters press all their seams open and do write their quilt patterns to reflect that. So uh, people say pressing open helps to get really flat blocks and quilt tops. Um, if you're adding hand quilting to your quilt, it is easier to do that with open seams because it reduces the bulk. And if you're using thicker fabrics such as flannel, denim, or linen, it can be better to press seams open to help with that bulk of those thicker fabrics. Uh, I got messages that people who press seams open, they're very passionate about it. And they say, once you do it, you cannot go back to doing it the other way. But I'm just not entirely convinced. I don't think I can do that. I only, I will only press open if there is so much bulk that it has to be that way. And then almost 35% of our poll responders said they will press however the pattern tells them to. Um, I feel so lucky that the magazines we create, they have the most thoughtful pressing instructions. So in our patterns, every diagram and, you know, the text shows you the way to press and it's, you know, it's all meant to reduce the bulk, help your seams nest, um, reduce how much darker fabric shows through lighter fabric in the seams. So 
if you're following a pattern, uh, that's smart. And hopefully the designer took the time to test the seams and, and write those instructions in a really thoughtful way. So I'd love to get more part, you know, people participating in these polls. So if you don't already follow me on Instagram, search for me. I'm at Linz Mayland. That's L-I-N-D-S. M-A-Y-L-A-N-D, so we can connect more. It's time for an ad break, but when we get back, we're sharing some behind-the-scenes things, and we're sharing a trend we're seeing. Welcome back. I wanted to share a few fun things happening with our magazines and website lately. Uh, We always seem to have so much going on, and I want to keep our podcast listeners up to date so that you feel included in our larger magazine community. So the first piece of news to share is that the October issue of American Patchwork and Quilting and the fall issue of Quilts and More magazines both came out on newsstands the past few weeks. If you can't find them on newsstands or you don't have a subscription, you can buy them from our shop at apqshop.com. Fall is my absolute favorite season to sew for, and I've heard from many of our listeners that that was their favorite season too. So I wanted to share this in case you're looking for some new fall or Halloween quilt patterns. Uh, Both magazines are filled with the cutest seasonal projects, um, and many of them are on my personal to-do list already. Um, So I'll link to the magazines in our show notes if you'd rather buy them online. Um, And now next, I wanted to share that we started a new video series back in April called Behind the Seams. So, you know, the podcast ended and we started the new video series during our break so we could launch that. Um, But the series comes out once a month. So we have four episodes so far and each video just lasts about 20 minutes. And in these videos, you'll get to see our staff. Um, So you'll see many of the faces of the people you hear on this podcast. I always think it's fun to put a face with the name. And we share everything from techniques to how-to projects to products we love, organizational ideas, and more. So it's kind of like a visual form of the podcast. Um, And we may sometimes explore the same things you might hear in the podcast, But most of it is brand new. Um, And the videos are on our website, but also Facebook and YouTube. So you can watch in the most convenient way for you. The episodes are quick, you know, only 15, 20 minutes, but they cover a variety of different topics each time. So it's fun to tune in once a month and explore just more aspects of quilting. So I'll link to that video series page in our show notes, um, and that will also have links to catch up on the episodes if you need, um, as well as links to our social media channel so you can subscribe to be informed of future videos. And the last piece of news is that we have a fun sew along that just started a few days ago. So the sew along is for a cute medallion style wall quilt from designer Allison Jensen of Woodbury Way. And the design features a cute pumpkin with a series of fun borders. And it's just a quick project. It's just the perfect mini quilt to tackle this time of year. 
And this sew along is just four weeks long. Um, and we have some tips videos. We have a fun sew along day within our Facebook group. Um, and we even have a prize giveaway. So if you want to join, check out the show notes for the details. Um, like I said, it started August 19th and it goes until September 15th. So you want to join us soon to have the most fun with us. But this first week is just choosing fabrics. So there's definitely time to join us and catch up. So we just have the best community of quilters, uh, whether they're podcast listeners, you know, in our sew along groups watching our videos or buying our magazines. So it's so fun to connect with quilting and our brands in so many different ways. Uh, so I appreciate you letting me share some of what we have going on in our world outside of just this podcast. So now I'm handing the mic to Beth for what's trending. Take it away, Beth. Hi, I'm Beth and I'm back with another trend we've been noticing lately. This time, it's all about two-color quilts. I feel like a two-color quilt never goes out of style, but yet also looks modern. It's a quilt that I've had on my bucket list for a while now, and lately I've been seeing blue and white quilts popping up everywhere. I love the fresh look of a limited palette, and while you typically see them in red and white or blue and white, any two-color combination can be used. Try gray plus a color for an unexpected twist on this trend. If you're looking for inspiration or a pattern, check our website, allpeoplequilt.com, search for two-color quilts, and you'll find a slideshow with more than 30 free patterns. The APQ shop also has several options, including a download that includes six of our favorite two-color quilt designs. Visit apqshop.com, and you'll find it under Pattern Collections. The classic two-color quilt is typically made with two solid colors, but you can definitely make it scrappy. If you notice you have one color fabric that is taking over your sewing room, bust that stash by making a two-color quilt with that color. Our staffer Allison noticed she had too many pinks, so she made a scrappy pink and white quilt. See the results on her Instagram at Allison Gam. My aqua teal bin is getting really full, so that might have to be my next project. If you're looking for a fabric line to jumpstart your project, here are some suggestions. From Moda Fabrics, you can look for Starlight Gatherings by Primitive Gatherings. This collection gives you the palette of a moonlit night, navy, midnight blue, spruce, peacock, and full moon white. With flowers, feathers, stars, and dots being just a few patterns you can find in this versatile collection. These prints are a little more on the traditional side, which is great to play up that vintage look. For something a little more modern, try Nantucket Summer by Camille Roskelly. This collection is mostly blue and white, but does have a touch of green. With dots, plaids, stripes, florals, and foliage, there's a lot of variety in the prints to keep the two color scheme from being boring. Both of these collections are available now. Coming in October, Blue Jean by Christopher Thompson for Riley Blake Designs features blue in almost every shade. And what's more classic than a pair of blue jeans? The collection is stitched together with lots of denim texture, a simple yet classic wavy stripe, sparrows, and florals. Be sure to watch the Riley Blake Designs Instagram account for the free pattern made with this line. It's a pixelated rose in shades of blue on a white background. 
And if you listened to last month's trend segment, we talked about squares and pixelated quilts being popular right now, so this quilt hits both trends. What quilting trends have you been seeing lately? Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com to let us know. Until next time, happy quilting. Thanks, Beth. And that's it for today's show. Before we leave, I want to ask for some help. So next month, we're doing an episode called Ask Us Anything. Uh, we've done this once a season, and it's always so fun. So send in all your questions to us. Uh, they can be sewing or quilting related, about the magazines or our jobs, uh, just about our sewing lives, anything. We're really opening to answer all the questions. So I look forward to hearing from all of you. Everyone have the best week.